Well, hello and welcome to another edition of the Art of Ronin Leadership podcast. Uh, this is Mike Howard coming to you from our, my home in our home, I should say, in uh, in Las Vegas, Nevada, and we are on uh, February twenty eighth. So we're on the cusp of a new month. It's amazing how fast this year is already going, and I hope that this podcast finds all of you well and uh, and happy and enjoying your life. Uh, we're very happy here in Nevada that uh, the mask mandate has been lifted um, as of uh, about a week or so ago. So it's, it's great not to, not to have to wear masks in public places. And, and uh, it's a, hopefully it's a sign of, of good things uh, to come when it comes to COVID. So again, hope all of you are doing very well and are, are healthy and are, uh, are getting over this, this COVID uh, issue. Um, before we get started, um, uh, if you have liked the content so far in our podcast series, please hit the uh, subscribe button on the screen, and we'd love for you to, to be receiving these podcasts on a regular basis. Uh, and if you have not done so, uh, please pick up a copy of The Art of Ronin Leadership. And uh, again, we've gotten some really great feedback. Uh, there, there are some folks that are uh, looking to buy copies of this for their teams, uh, for their training, and uh, really are, are happy to do that and happy to accommodate you and your teams uh, if you want. And uh, so please engage with us. We're happy to even provide you with some discounts uh, if you're going to buy in bulk for your teams. So again, thank you for the feedback so far on the book, on the podcast. Very positive. We've got some good things coming up ahead with some really good uh, some guests. So we're really looking forward to uh, engaging uh, uh, some other really talented people uh, to come on the podcast and to talk about leadership. Uh, we may even, again, as we've done before, we've talked about relationships and we've done some other kinds of podcasts. So we'll delve into some other fun areas as well. But again, this is a podcast on leadership primarily. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. So for today, <clears throat> I was thinking about what to, to talk about. And uh, I might have mentioned this in previous podcasts, but if I haven't, uh, I, I have a standing invitation with the Las Vegas Sun newspaper here, one of two major newspapers in the Las Vegas area, uh, to do the occasional article, more of an opinion piece on uh, things that are sort of uppermost in my mind. And one of the things that I wrote about recently was on this whole idea of discourse or lack thereof uh, in today's society. Uh, you know, discourse to me is the ability to have uh, meaningful discussions with people on any number of topics and to be able to debate and, and really engage in, in the act of citizenry when, when it comes to engaging in some of the, the, the political issues of the day, whether it be race relations, economy, politics, business, what have you. And the gist of my column was that we have lost that art of discourse in this country. Uh, you look at Congress and the inability of the Democrats and the Republicans to engage meaningfully on any issue. Uh, they are so driven by ideology and the lack, the lack of, uh, of, of civility within both parties, 
that it, it's just amazing to me they get anything done and and they rarely get anything done uh, whatever the, the 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 political issue is Republicans take one stance because it's their ideology and Democrats take the opposite because it's their ideology and never the twain shall meet. And there was a time in, in the way uh, I wrote the article, I crafted the article for the paper was there was a period of time in our society where you could still have, you know, deep rooted uh, beliefs in certain issues and, and have fierce discussions about those issues but still be able to figure out a way to get to the end, ends, uh, end, uh, the, end, the goal, right? Get to the end zone. Get to uh, a place uh, uh, where, where you could find some commonality and get something done for the people of the country. Uh, those days are gone now. Yeah. Hopefully they'll come back. But uh, right now what we have are we have people in politics who... No matter, even if you believe that the, the opposition party has some valid points in their political um, agenda, those are discarded. It's strictly you're voting on party lines, you're voting on party ideology, and usually it's too far left or too far right, but that's what you're going to follow. And, and we have lost that ability to have proper debate and discourse. Uh, I've mentioned this many times, uh, both in the book as well as in, in, in talks that I've given, where I, I, I look back on those days of Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill, diametrically opposed uh, individuals politically, but who could figure out a way to get a political agenda uh, moved forward uh, for the benefit of the American people. Um, the late Senator Robert Dole uh, from Kansas passed away not too long ago, uh, who was a Republican, um, said that politics basically was about, you know, not getting everything you want, all right? So you're never going to be able to get everything you want. But you get something, the opposition gets something, and so everybody is able to get something accomplished to move the agenda forward. Nowadays, it's about if, it, if I can't get everything I want uh, in politics, or if I can't get everything I want in business, then, 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 then that's it. Nothing gets done. And so part of what I want to talk about today is <clears throat> that we have lost that ability to have discourse in, in our society. Uh, reasonable debate that leads to some kind of consensus building that, that we can move the agenda forward. And a lot of that stems to me from this, uh, this area that I like to talk about a lot called emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence is simply the ability to understand yourself, understand others in ways in which you are willing to entertain your own strengths and weaknesses, acknowledge others' strengths and weaknesses, and then kind of figure out, okay, how in that context, how do we get things moving ahead? How do we work together uh, in a better fashion? And um, 
the reason why emotional intelligence is so important, I think, in this grand scheme of things, what we call discourse and debate and getting things done, is I look at uh, when I was at, uh, at Microsoft and uh, we were formulating our leadership team in the early days of global security. And over a period of time, I found people who I believed were going to be able to drive different lines of business in my organization. And they were very talented people, but not always working well in the sandbox, right? Not always playing well in the sandbox. <clears throat> and great subject matter experts in their areas, but not always very good at playing well with others because very strong-willed individuals, um, and whether it was personal or professional or a little bit of both, there was friction going on. So we engaged in, in, in uh, some training in emotional intelligence. And a great friend of mine, Mitch Shepard, who uh, is still running um, you know, a couple of business entities, um, I, I met her through social media, uh, we, I liked what she had uh, to offer, and um, we engaged in several rounds of emotional intelligence training with her. And, and I, again, I can remember, and I talk about this in the book as well, it, because it was very meaningful to me and hopefully for, for my team, where uh, we did an initial round where at first we had to fill out some paperwork, kind of talk about, I think, what we thought about our team and about ourselves and our own strengths and weaknesses. And, and then after the paperwork was done, we got together off-site, away from campus, our main campus, went to a hotel and uh, rented a, a conference room, small conference room. And I remember the gist, uh, the gist of the, uh, the conversation or the, the session was, first my team gave me feedback on you know, kind of things they thought I was doing well, as well as things I could uh, be better at. I, mean, I remember one of the things I could be better at was being less subtle about uh, giving directives and being more direct. Uh, some people could get my subtleties and would get what I was trying to get, get at, sorry, from a, uh, from a messaging basis. And others said, hey, look, boss, just tell us what you want us to do or tell us if you think we're not doing the job and just be very more direct about it. And so lessons learned. So, but then at that point, after I received my feedback, I was asked by Mitch to leave the room and it was a better part of an hour. It felt like more than two hours, but uh, I was right outside uh, doing email and the, just uh, was the team themselves giving each other feedback. And I'm sure it was a fairly heated session at times, you know, no one likes to be told, well, you're good at this, but you, you're not as good at, at, at doing this. And so the give and take back and forth and then, you know, being able to be transparent and put it out there uh, for, for the whole world or the team to see. But, and then I was brought back in and I was given a sense of what the discussion was all about between the team members. And I could tell, you know, just by the faces that, uh, it, it, it was an emotional session, uh, but it helped to break down some barriers and it helped to really allow team members to be honest with each other, with a moderator to talk about things that they thought their teammates could be doing better, uh, to be better, uh, teammates. 
And we went through another session of this, but I think that was the nucleus of us getting together as a leadership team, being able to talk honestly with each other about things that we disagreed about without making it personal. Sometimes it got personal, but for the most part, we were able to engage and debate and talk to each other as human beings, frailties and all, uh, which helped us to bond as a team to drive the strategies that we needed to drive to get the kind of growth that we experience in our global security organization. And obviously the byproduct of that would, would be the successes that we made from a business standpoint, as well as from, um, uh, I would say an influence standpoint within the, the global security community and how we were able to drive our, our technology strategy and be able to, to, to use that as a launching point for a lot of different things that I described in the book and a lot of successes that we had. But it all came from that, that nugget of emotional intelligence and our ability to, to leverage that emotional intelligence uh, in, 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 a, uh, yeah, in a very concrete and, and substantive fashion. And so the discourse that we were able to experience based off that emotional intelligence, right? helped us to be able to execute from the, uh, a business standpoint and helped us to build a really effective leadership team. So from a leadership perspective, as you're looking, if you are a leader looking to build a team, uh, a new team, or if you have a team that is perhaps dysfunctional to a certain extent, uh, and I would also harken back to, you know me, I always like leadership books, Patrick Lencioni, one of the uh, leadership gurus I respect uh, and admire and read all of his books, and my team did too, was The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. I would highly encourage you to, to read that because that's another good, uh, a helpful tool that you might be able to use in your leadership toolkit to uh, look at teams that are dysfunctional. But I would say emotional intelligence is a big piece of that, and you need to, to look at that. And... And I just think that, that at a, that's at a micro level. Speaking of you know, what my team and I went through in our transformation uh, to go from a disparate group of subject matter experts who were really great at their job to a well-functioning team that didn't always agree with each other on everything. And that's a big part of this whole thing called debate and discourse. But we were able to talk things through even when things got heated and personal in a way that allowed us to eventually get to a common goal. And I think that's important because if you can't get past the, the, the emotional issues, then you're never going to be able to get to the end goal, the end state, which is a solution, a common solution. And, uh, and I think we have, we're losing that ability. So I would say, Please don't model what you see on TV with the talking heads or with our political, so-called political leaders. But I don't see a lot of leadership in politics nowadays. I, I see a lot of people in their own individual tribes with the speaking, whatever that tribe speak is, whether it's GOP or whether it's uh, the Democrats, it's, it's, there's, there's really nothing there when it comes to real leadership. Um, real leadership is about breaking down barriers and finding 
commonalities to complex problems and being able to find, uh, find that solution. And uh, it all stems to me from that ability of, of having really good emotional intelligence. Knowing yourselves well enough that you know that you don't know everything. Uh, knowing yourselves well enough to be willing to change a position. Right? Colin Powell used to always have one of his 13 um, you know, uh, principles of leadership that he talked about a lot in his life. One of them, I believe, was said something like, don't let your ego get so close to your position that when your position falls, your ego goes with it. I think that's really perfect for what we're talking about here, right? The ability to change your position because you found out your position is not working. You see it in politics all the time. You know, some politician says, we're going to go down this road and find out that this road isn't working. But from a political context, you, you say it's working and you make believe it's working in your public pronouncements, even though it's not working because you're so dogmatic in your position, your ego is so wedded to that position that you're unwilling to acknowledge that you were wrong, right? Real leaders can acknowledge that they're wrong, that, you know, I thought this was the way to go, um, but either other voices said, hey, boss, that's not the way to go. Let's change direction. Then we'll tell you why. And you realize they're right. Or because circumstances that are taking place on the road that you've traveled show you that we need to take another route, right? And, but, you know, you're unwilling to do that. Real leaders are willing to make that change and to admit that, okay, that didn't work out so well. And uh, let's, go, let's go try with plan B. There's no shame in that because if ultimately plan B is the right way to go politically or from a business perspective, then that's the way you should, you should approach it, right? You're, you're not being paid as a leader to know everything. You're being paid to drive and help formulate strategy. Uh, and you're being paid to motivate your team. You're being, you're being paid to take the hits when something goes south and the higher ups are pissed off at your team. Uh, well, you take the hits because you're the boss and, and that's your team. You're being paid to do all those things, but you're not being paid to be like the great Oz that knows everything because nobody can do that. But too many people put on a front uh, and you see it again. You see it on TV with politicians all the time. They, they're never able to admit when they've made a mistake. There, there's always an excuse there's always some other aspect that the reporters don't know about, right? Or whoever's asking the question that as opposed to you, the politician, just admitting, ah, okay, we could have done it better. I could have thought about X uh, instead of Y. And so we're, we're, we're looking at Y now. You never, you never or rarely ever see that. Don't be that kind of leader. Be the kind of leader with the right emotional intelligence that helps you to make good decisions, great decisions with your team, to be able to engage in the proper discourse, the proper debate, um, the proper to and fro that allows the intellectual juices to flow, the opinions to flow, that helps you as a leader be able to make the right decision. 
Now, you know, the other piece of that is that ultimately, another thing Colin Powell said is leadership is lonely. And so we're talking about discourse, emotional intelligence, give and take, debate. That's all very important. But just remember this. Ultimately, you know, you are the one that's responsible for calling ball, for making the decision, the critical decisions for your organization. And at the end of the day, your team is your team, and your job is to take their input. But you make the final decision, right? And if you believe the final decision uh, should be one way separate from either some of your team or what the rest of your team is saying, if you truly believe that, then you're going to have to call the ball on that. And you're going to have to make those critical decisions from a budget perspective, from a personnel perspective, from a business perspective, from a strategic perspective, you're going to have to make that decision and you're gonna to have to stand on it. And if that decision falls, then you have to be able to make the adjustment to say, hey, it, I made the wrong decision. But a lot of the times, you'll probably make the right decision, but you are in charge and you're going to have to make those, those kinds of decisions. So. That's part of the mantle of leadership, and that's part of the, the things that you have to take into consideration uh, as a leader. So I just want you to keep these things in mind. Um, uh, as, uh, as leadership is never, is never easy. It can be a lot of fun. Uh, it, it was for me as a leader, but there are a lot of headaches that come with, with leadership. Um, and, uh, but, but those are the things that... that that you accept uh, as being leader as being leadership. One of the things that really got me through a lot of hard times in leadership was when I would read a lot of these books from Lencioni or read Colin Powell or read uh, Team of Rivals, which was about Lincoln, which I'll address in a second. Um, would give me inspiration, but also give me ideas about hmm, how could I tweak the team? Let's let's read this book and let's try this, right? Let's try something different or. Uh, Let's see if we can use this in our, in our leadership toolkit to make our leaders better. That used to jazz me up, and that would, that would encourage me to keep moving forward, even in the midst of whatever we were facing globally, whether it was a, a crisis issue or um, some business issue at home or a budget issue or what have you. You know, it just, it, it gave me good fuel, you know, good positive energy to move forward. And I would, I would say you should... Kind of look at what motivates you. What are the things that you can do when things get tough uh, to, to push you forward? That's just one of the things. Um, I just recently, my wife and I recently saw a, a three-part series on PBS on Lincoln. And if you get the, the chance to, to watch it, I'm sure you can find it on demand or, or streaming somewhere. But it was really great. And I, I've, Lincoln was one of the, is one of the presidents I admire the most. Uh, I've studied him before. One of the books actually that uh, I recommend to people is Lincoln on Leadership and the author, I can't remember the author's name right off the bat, but look it up, Lincoln on Leadership. It's not a long read, uh, sort of like my book. It's, it's, a, it's a smaller uh, book, but it looks at Lincoln from leadership perspective and the things he did, especially during the Civil War years, uh, to, and how, how, he, how his leadership uh, can be modeled today in, in terms of the, the things that you're, you as a leader are dealing with on a daily basis. 
Um, but that's certainly something I looked at a lot when I was uh, growing as a leader at Microsoft and then became the CSO. That was one of, those are one of the, the few books I looked at along with uh, Colin Powell's books um, and some others, Patrick Lencioni, that you know, gave me ideas, gave me energy, and gave me fuel to move forward and, and I think helped me to help figure out how to formulate our team and our strategy uh, that, that made it successful. But one of the things about Lincoln, uh, another book, Team of Rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin, a uh, great historian, has written many books. I actually was able to hear her speak at Microsoft uh, one time. It was fascinating. But this, the Team of Rivals, if you have not read this book, you need to read it as a leader. And it really talks about how Lincoln, um, when he became president, assembled a cabinet. And that cabinet consisted of some people that were his rivals, that had been aligned against him politically, ran against him uh, in office. And that included his uh, 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 attorney general, um, uh, his um, secretary of, of state, as well as his, uh, uh, I believe I took some notes here also, his uh, um, secretary of the treasury. And so really, it, it, it really talks about how uh, Lincoln had such great emotional intelligence. Like he knew himself and he knew his flaws. He knew his strengths. And he was, certainly was a strong man, who a strong leader, who had to make critical decisions, sometimes against the advice of some of his closest compatriots or generals or members of his cabinet. But he's smart enough to realize that he needed uh, the, the advice of some of these folks that had been his rivals into his cabinet to make the decision-making process and the governance of, of the country as, as good as it could be. And that's somebody, think about it today. I mean, can you imagine either a, a, a President Trump or a President Biden or whoever uh, bringing in uh, uh, people from the opposite party into their cabinet because their skill sets, uh, their talents, no matter what their political beliefs are, would lend themselves to making the governance of the country better. Think about that. How powerful is that, right? Um, President Obama, I think, was the last one that actually practiced that. I know that Team of Rivals is one of uh, President Obama's uh, greatest books. And uh, when he brought Hillary Clinton, who was obviously his political rival for the presidency, <clears throat> into the cabinet to become Secretary of State. Now, I think, I think uh, President Obama said that was, you know, wasn't specifically because he had read the team of rivals that he did that, but I think he felt that that Secretary Clinton would have been would have been best for that role. And uh, again, whatever you think about President Obama or Hillary Clinton politically, I find it fascinating that uh, President Obama was willing to do that. Uh, and again, you don't find that in politics um, anywhere uh, nowadays, and that that's a shame. But Lincoln modeled it because Lincoln knew that was the best for the country. And ultimately, you as a leader have to make the decisions on, on your team, on your strategy, or what have you, based on what's best for whatever enterprise you're working for. 
If you're a government leader of some sort, then what's best for your organization and for the country? Uh, if you're a business leader of some sort, then what's best for your particular enterprise? Uh, not, not what's best for you uh, or just your team, but what's best for your organization and the enterprise as a whole. And so those are the critical decisions that you're going to have to make. So invest in emotional intelligence training. Get to understand yourself, your strengths and weaknesses well and acknowledge them. Be very transparent about them with your team. And your team needs to be able to do the same thing. And it's not going to be easy. If, you, if you're not willing to invest in this kind of training, this kind of engagement uh, with your team, you're never going to get to where you're going to be. You're still going to, you may have successes, but you'll leave a lot of dead bodies along the way, right? Uh, and you don't, you don't want that. Um, humans are always going to have egos. Humans will always, you know, even within your own leadership team, you'll have disconnects with people within your leadership team because they don't like someone personally or what, whatever, what have you. Uh, that may or may not change. That's not your job. Your job, however, is to make sure your team is fighting fair in the sandbox. They're playing nice in the sandbox. They're not trying to backstab each other. Uh, you know, they're not, uh, they're not practicing being passive aggressive with each other. They're being honest with each other in terms of their feelings on a, on a business issue. And they're debating fiercely, but fairly. And they're willing to look at someone else's point of view because they know that the decisions they're making are really critical to the, uh, to the whole. And I think that's what's, that, that's the heart of emotional intelligence. Invest in that. Learn how to debate and have proper discourse as a leader and with your team so that you can come out, to the, come out with the best decisions that you possibly can uh, for your particular enterprise, right? And then read, you know, and that's a big, I wasn't gonna talk about that that much, but read. Reading is critical. You know, uh, great leaders are readers. I've, I've heard that from, you know, many sources, and it's true. If you're not reading leadership books, if you're not reading biographies, if you're not reading, uh, especially if you're actively working and leading, then you're doing a disservice. Because again, you're living in a vacuum. You can take the time to read, to expand your knowledge, and maybe come up with new ideas, right? Um, we changed the whole tenor of how we did staff meetings within our organization based off of a book, again, by Patrick Lencioni, um, called Death by Meeting. And the, the whole premise of the book was that Meetings in most business settings are boring and non-productive. They're a mishmash of strategy, tactical, uh, updates, you know, and they, everything's mixed together. And, and a lot of times decisions aren't really made. Or you have to have another meeting to make a decision when you could have done it at this meeting. So the premise was to break up the meetings. And so you would have like... What we ended up doing, we had a weekly sync up every Monday morning. Uh, it was together, but to save time, we made it virtual, uh, where we would take about an hour or less, and each of us go over, my leadership team and I go over kind of what's 
what we're planning on doing that week. What are the main things that we're, we're touching on that week? Just so that if, if one of my leaders said, I'm doing something, and the other, another part of my leadership team said, hey, you know, we're, we're talking to the same person on something else. Let's, let's, let's go talk and see how we're going to handle this. So you could sort of deconflict, uh, force multiply, you know, and make sure that we're all on the same page tactically for what's going on that week. And then throughout the month, we would carve out uh, once a month, anywhere from two to four hours, depending on, you know, what we had for just strategy issues. We would shelve the strategic issues for that one particular meeting. And then we could deep dive into the strategic issues and really delve into it and talk about it and chew on issues and come up with decisions on long-term strategy. And that worked for us. Um, as opposed to just meetings where the typical meeting where you sit down, the boss says a few words, and then you go around the table and everybody gives an update on what they're doing. And then there may or may not be any decisions made. And that's it. Then you move on, right? Uh, and that's not, to me, that's, that makes A for a boring meeting, but it makes for a non-productive meeting. But by reading the book, we changed how we did meetings, and I think we made it more effective. So read, 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 and uh, it'll make you and your teams better. So that's all I have uh, to talk about for today. Uh, I've been on this kick on discourse and emotional intelligence for a while. Uh, I think it's very important, um, which is the reason why I wrote the article. If any of you are interested in seeing the article, just ping me. I can, I can send you the link. Uh, on the article that I wrote for the Las Vegas Sun. Uh, but yeah, as, as leaders, just remember, discourse comes from proper emotional intelligence, which will then lead to a better functioning team, which will lead to better decision-making and the right decisions uh, for your team. So as with all of our podcasts, uh, please give us uh, your feedback on uh, how you like the content and things that we could do better. Uh, we certainly want, want your feedback. Again, um, please click on the subscribe button, and uh, uh, if, you, if you like it, tell your friends about, uh, about this podcast. And also, if you have suggestions, either on people that you want us to, or me to interview, or topics that you want me to, uh, to look at, just ping me. Be happy to, uh, uh, be happy to uh, 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 look at that and, and, and add that to our podcast. Uh, again, if you get a chance, please pick a copy of book, The Art of Ronin Leadership, Strategy, Execution, and Sustained Success. I'm really proud of this book, and, uh, and, uh, and I think you'll get a lot out of, uh, of your leadership journey by reading this book. So until uh, next time, uh, I'm wishing you health, and uh, please be well, and, uh, and look after your friends and your family, and we'll talk to you next time. We'll see you.